Welcome to Textile Update, the podcast where we can share our passion for textiles, fibers, and yarns. This is Gwendolyn Hustvedt. Welcome to the third of six podcasts about fiber properties. This podcast is going to focus on the physical structure, what fibers look like, and how that influences how they perform. Let's move into the second major component of our discussion of fibers. Now we're still staying general. We're talking about fibers generally. So we're not talking yet about cotton and what makes it special or wool and what makes it special or polyester and what it's comprised of and where it came from. We're just talking in general about what we might see or encounter uh, when we look at a fiber, when we examine it under a microscope, or when we look at the uh, molecules that actually create the fiber. So we're going to be discussing uh, physical properties of the fibers. We're going to talk about chemical properties of the fibers. And, and chemical properties don't just mean how the fiber does chemistry. Chemical properties can include what the fiber is actually made of or, or how it interacts chemically. And then we're also going to talk a bit about some of the biological properties or for those fibers that have a biological origin, i.g. fibers that are in fiber form in nature. We'll point out a few things about those. Uh, but mostly what we're going to be doing is what's called uh, morphology. Uh, morph means shape, uh, like Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, uh, they can change shape. And uh, ology means study of, so in this case, the study of the shape uh, or the structure of the fiber. And one of the first things that we can see when we look at a fiber, uh, we can see this without the aid of a microscope, just by, you know, picking a fiber up off of something, right, with a pair of tweezers. Uh, you see this on your CSI shows, right, or your um, silent witness, if you're British, uh, putting the, the fiber in a glassine envelope, right? Uh, they picked it up with a, with a pair of tweezers off of, the, off of the carpeting at a crime scene, for example. And you could just uh, hold the fiber up to the light and take a look at it. Uh, you need to have the right sort of background to actually be able to focus on the fiber, especially when you're getting older. But you can tell almost immediately if it's a short fiber, right? If you don't have to fold it to put it into your glassine envelope or if it's a very long fiber, right? So right away you can be like, whoa, this is a really long fiber, right? And so uh, maybe it's the hair off of someone's head. Then you could say, wow, this, this uh, fiber came from someone with long hair. So easy, quick thing to do is just say whether the fiber is short or long. But of course we can't make it that simple. Uh, we have to use our own special vocabulary. This is something that I love about studying textiles. We have a historical vocabulary that uh, belongs to us as uh, textile scientists, as textile historians and researchers, 
And so we have a language that we can use that is actually intimately connected with our uh, ancient history as hominids, right? So uh, we've been, as I pointed out in, in my last discussion, we've been using fibers uh, as part of our technology uh, as uh, hominids, uh, eventually homo sapiens for, for uh, as long as we can find evidence in, in the uh, fossil record for hominids period. So um, it's, it only makes sense that we could have some nice, really old words for this. So the very first kind of nice old word is the word staple. Now, when I say staple, you might think of a stapler, which puts a short piece of metal into a piece of paper and bends it to hold it together. Uh, a staple in a diet would be something that, that sort of comprises the, the, the basics of the diets, right? So staples and wardrobes would be uh, t-shirts and jeans, right? Um, but the staples in diets might be, uh, you know, what is their staple diet? It's potatoes or their staple diet is corn. Um, it's the sort of thing that, uh, that you find at every single meal. Uh, so, um, in that way, we, we might have think of staple as being something that stabilizes, right? But of course, the reason why a staple, and, and I'm now picturing a staple as a, a, a short piece of wood that's pushed into another piece of wood to hold two pieces of wood together, like a little dowel. Um, what, what it's doing is, is, is it's being by its very nature short, right? It's, it's being stuck in somewhere, right? It's just stuck into the crevices to kind of keep things together. So uh, when you think of uh, staple length fibers, they're, they're not the star by themselves. They're the star as a group. They're the star collectively. Uh, short, these very short fibers are so short that we talk about how many inches long they are or centimeters if you're in everywhere in the world but the United States. Um, and when we look at uh, materials that are made from staple length fibers, uh, you guys do know my recording studio is my closet, right? So I'm going to just reach out and touch something right, made of a staple length fiber and then find something else here. Ooh, that's made from longer fibers. And, and I can just see the way that they're reflecting the light. I can see, oh, that one actually has pills. Uh, that's a problematic um, a little tiny balls of fiber, which happen with staple length fibers because the fibers are so short they can be pulled from the surface. Uh, so, so we can actually detect the, the staple length fibers with the naked eye, basically. Um, and uh, uh, when we look at a yarn under our pick glass, a uh, little magnifying glass, uh, we can see right away that there are fiber ends visible protruding from the yarn. Uh, of course, I just mentioned pills. Linting is a big issue with staple length fibers. So the lint in your dryer is coming from your cotton towels that have very loosely spun yarns. Helps with absorbency, helps make it feel super fluffy, but means that the fibers really aren't held together as well. The cohesiveness of the fibers isn't being activated as much as it could. Now, staple length fibers uh, cannot be used by themselves in textiles. They have to be twisted to form a spun yarn. So spinning is how we make a yarn. And when we've made the yarn, we say we spun the yarn. The yarn is spun. So a spun yarn is made from staple length fibers. Notice how those both start with S. So that's how I remember it. Staple, short, spun. And here's another really handy thing. If you're looking at a, at a swatch book full of uh, swatches and you're trying to decide what type of fiber the different uh, swatches are made of, 
right? You can go right through the list and ask yourself, is that a naturally occurring fiber, right? So is it, is it um, uh, you know, a Ramey fiber? That's a naturally occurring minor cellulosic fiber. So therefore, it is a spun yarn. We know that because all fibers that occur in nature are stable length, even the really gloriously long mohair fiber that comes from the Angora goat, maybe up to 18 centimeters long, still considered staple length. That fiber end will protrude from the yarn at some point. Only the silk fiber is in its natural state so long. Silk fibers in a silk cocoon can be miles long. Only that silk fiber is so long that we can actually produce a textile using the fibers without spinning them into yarns and have no fiber ends protruding from the surface of that material, which is what gives silk its uh, smooth, silky, right? We just took the word to describe what that feels like, um, appearance, right? So if it's a naturally occurring fiber, then it's going to be a staple length fiber. It's going to be a spun yarn. So you can already answer uh, one of the big questions about most of the swatches in a swatch book just by asking, is it a naturally occurring fiber? Look on your little chart. If you see that it is, then it's a spun yarn. The only exception is silk. And for that, we have to follow the same decision tree that we would follow with manufactured fibers. We have to look at it actually with our eyes. We can't just make an assumption. Uh, now, um, with the long fibers, the ones that, uh, you know, we really started to think about when we explored silk in more depth, um, because it's the only example in nature, so up to the point when we started to really understand silk, just really long fibers didn't exist. And be so because they're much newer in the mind of the human being, uh, the vocabulary is a bit thinner, a bit more disappointing. Um, first of all, we have a nice, more Latin-y sounding word because it was invented more recently, uh, as opposed to staple, which would come from our, you know, um, Indo-European uh, language origins. Uh, and the filament is, uh, yeah, it, it means long. And, and disappointingly, these long fibers are made into filament yarns. I think that's important there because it suggests what's, what's really um, uh, cool about filament fibers, that you don't have to spin them. Right, so they're so long that uh, it, you can actually make an entire 45 inch wide or yard, a meter wide uh, piece of uh, fabric or textile and, and not have to cobble it together, so to speak. One fiber can go from one side of the material to the other side. So you don't need to activate the cohesion to hold the fibers together because the, the fibers uh, do fine on their own. Um, and so uh, filament yarn may be twisted a little bit like a spun yarn is, but it's only only to kind of make it into a group, make it easier to handle, not because it needs it for any sort of strength. So uh, filament yarns um, are made from filament fibers. Now, just to get tricky, of course, we could chop that filament fiber up. And this is what the silkworm does when it exits the cocoon by chomping through it, right? So we would have to find a cocoon where the silkworm hadn't eaten through the cocoon yet to discover how long it was. Um, and so uh, we, we can produce a material that's called filament tow. I'll talk more about where, um, uh, why we call it tow later. It's spelled T-O-W like a tow rope or a tow, um, a tow truck, not a T-O-E like a body part. 
And if we make filament toe by chopping it up into staple lengths, then we can make a spun yarn using the filament fiber. So this jacket that I'm touching right here, it does have fiber ends protruding from the surface. I can see them from here, the sort of matte appearance. I can feel it um, with my finger, right, the hand. Uh, but I know this jacket is made from polyester. So it was born as a filament and then it was cut up and spun into a yarn in order to basically imitate a much more expensive wool jacket. So short, long, short staple spun, long filament, filament. Uh, the next thing that we can determine about a fiber, now this is harder. For this, we probably need a microscope. Uh, in some cases, you can tell by touching it, right? Like, ooh, that's kind of thick. But once things get to be a certain diameter, they're too thin to really feel the difference between them. And so we need a microscope. Now, natural fibers have naturally occurring range of diameters, right? Just the size nature thinks they should be. Um, but these, are, it's irregular, right? So uh, within any pop, uh, population, you could sample a particular fiber and it will have a slightly different diameter than another fiber of the same type, right? Um, and so that's why we, we actually have to talk about the sizing of wool. Uh, natural fibers use an indirect sizing method. Uh, indirect means that um, we actually measure the size by saying, oh, look, if, it's, um, if the fibers are smaller, then it can make thinner yarns, so the same amount of fiber can go further. So if I took um, my skein of yarn that was a certain length and I counted them against a weight, it might take 80 skeins of a thinner yarn to make the same weight as 40 skeins of a thicker yarn. So I'll call the yarn that needed 80 skeins to make that weight 80s yarn, and not because of the 1980s, and I'll call the yarn that was thicker and and uh, only took 40 uh, yards, uh, 40 skeins to make the same weight. I'll call that 40s uh, yarn and or 40s fiber, and I won't be talking about the 1940s. Um, so I'll be talking about uh, uh, the size. So with natural fibers, the bigger the number, the smaller the fiber because it took more of it to get to the set weight. Whereas with manufactured fibers, we go the other way around. We actually set the length of the fiber. We say, look, we're gonna measure 9,000 meters. Why? Just why? Why not a kilometer? Like what was up with, uh, I just don't get it. Like that's, it would have been so easy to have it be a kilometer. Um, and, and actually, uh, uh, you know, I just, I don't know. Anyways, um, so 9,000 meters, we weigh it, and that weight in grams is what's called the denier. So the bigger the number, the bigger the fiber, because the more it weighed, right? And we are comparing apples and apples, you know, the same length, 9,000 meters, 9,000 meters. If it weighs more, it was bigger. Uh, of course, being larger can give some benefits, right? Uh, larger fibers take up more space, which could be good if uh, that's what we want in the product. Uh, and they are more abrasion resistant because there's just more of them you have to rub through to get to the other side. Um, but they don't bend as well, so a smaller denier or a smaller diameter fiber will have a better drape. And um, they, they, we could say that it was softer because we can't really feel it as well when we touch it, right? Whereas a larger fiber, we, we can actively feel. Uh, you'll notice in um, uh, some diagrams of the, the diameter of naturally occurring fiber that human hair is actually really large compared with most. Um, and that we have uh, fibers such as silk that are, that are pretty small. Um, as long as we're sort of thinking about the um, cross-section of the fiber, uh, we've talked about the width of the fiber, that's 
uh, could be measured by seeing the cross-section. We need to talk about the shape of the cross-section as well. Again, in nature, that shape can be irregular. Uh, uh, cotton fibers have a, have a sort of a C shape or kidney bean shape. Uh, they used to be nice and round and circular and then they collapsed and sort of uh, the center folded in on itself and formed that C. Uh, wool fibers are round. Uh, silk fibers are triangular, right? Um, uh, if we manufacture them, then we are controlling the shape of the fiber based on the hole that's in the spinneret that extrudes the fiber. We'll learn a lot more about that when we talk about fiber manufacturing. So we could have shapes like dog bone shape, trilobal shape, an oval shape, right? And each of these different shapes uh, helps us meet a different goal. Uh, the cross-section, the shape of the cross-section influences things like the, the bulk, how much room it takes up for the, for the amount of weight, um, and how it feels, right? A uh, fiber that is uh, multi-lobal, has lots of little tiny uh, ripples on its surface, will feel different than one that is uh, perfectly round. Um, but I think one of the most important things that the cross-section influences is the luster of the fiber. Um, a perfectly round fiber will scatter light, but it scatters it evenly, right? So uh, it's kind of taking like all the light available and it's just spreading it out. So we kind of have this average look to it. Like all parts of the fiber are the same. It's just average. But a, a regularly surfaced fiber, one that's multi-lobal, uh, has lots of jaggedy edges in the cross-section, it's scattering light in a random way. And so we can have slightly brighter spots and slightly darker spots. The brightness is created by the uh, wavelengths of light concentrating together. So three or four of them will bunch up together and it will seem like more light. And a spot where there might have been some light on an evenly scattered uh, uh, cross-section, right, around one, um, disappear because, like, there's no light there at all. It was bounced over to the, to be more concentrated in the other part. So we end up with just kind of this more, um, uh, irregular, uh, impression, right? And, and so actually it ends up looking a bit darker. Uh, but the trilobal shape, uh, which we see with the silk fibers, and this is, we partly discovered this because we're like, why is silk so shiny? Uh, it's because it's trilobal. And having that slightly concave surface, like, you know, a satellite dish, uh, it concentrates the light into one, uh, the, the satellite wave, um, you know, the microwaves coming from space in the satellite are concentrated in so that it, uh, they all touch the sensor together. So we have a lot of signal that's being concentrated in the sensor and then we have enough to actually get internet, right, or watch TV using the satellite. Um, or share secret communications. But uh, that concentration is what um, the, the dish is doing. In the same way, the concave surface of a trilobal fiber concentrates all the light into one spot and our eye sees it as like a gleam, right? So the fiber seems more lustrous. Uh, as long as we're still thinking about the, the actual shape of the fiber, right? Um, we've talked about how long it is. We've talked about uh, the diameter and, and, of course, that the diameter can be, um, you know, is an expression of the cross-section. I want to hit one more note as we're, like, looking at the, the outside surface of the fiber here. 
And that is that the cross-section actually um, extends, right, in, into three-dimensional space into something we call the surface contour. Now, the surface contour isn't really all that exciting for many fibers because, right, you know, round cross-section, round surface contour. But for natural fibers, uh, the cross-section can be somewhat misleading, right? So that round cross-section of the wool actually extends out into a surface contour that's covered in scales, right? Um, I suppose it doesn't help, said Bridget Jones, that underneath our clothes were all covered in scales, right? So those, so uh, protein fibers covered in scales, um, even though the round cross-section suggests that they would be lustrous, those scales are not making it happen. So the the, the uh, surface contour ended up being important there. Um, the, the kidney bean-shaped uh, cross-section of the cotton isn't what's most interesting about it. What's most interesting about it is that it actually follows this sort of spiral. We call it a convolution, right? So this spiral means that the, the folded in interior of that C is always kind of being tucked around itself like the center of a spiral staircase. Uh, and it can be problematic, uh, like chunks of, of dirt can get stuck in that groove and, and it's being stuck in the inside of that um, uh, convolution. And uh, so um, you might think that that nice smooth round outside of the C would make the cotton lustrous, but the convolution, as, as same with the scales on the wool, just isn't having it. Um, and uh, etc. So we will learn um, about the surface contour of uh, specific natural fibers because they're they're each kind of interesting and can actually be a clue to identifying the fiber. Now the surface contour on a manufactured fiber is going to be an extension of the cross section. Uh, we don't do clever little things like scales and convolutions with manufactured fibers. Uh, I, I don't think we could. Um, and and why would we? But we can see some things in the uh, by looking along the length of the fiber under the microscope that we couldn't see in the cross section. And some of these are actually huge, enormous neon sign clues that the fiber that we're looking at is not a natural fiber. So if we see long, shadowy lines on the surface of the fiber using a microscope, the kind of microscope that you can find in any high school, I bring that up because there are people who um, have made assumptions about the origin of a fiber that could have been resolved really easily by just saying, you know, hey, uh, can I have access to this microscope? I want to look at this fiber. Um, so it's not like you have to have an electron micro, uh, scanning electron microscope or something. Simple microscope that almost anybody could afford uh, if you had a company and were about to make claims about the origin of your fibers. Look at those fibers under the microscope before you say it's a natural fiber. If you see the long shadow lines, that's that's not a surface contour that occurs in nature. If you see little freckles or specks, those are what are called delustrants. Again, we'll learn more about those later, but that is not something that occurs in nature. You are not looking at a naturally occurring fiber. You're looking at a manufactured fiber, so you need to be careful and not be telling lies to people about where the fiber came from, right? It came from a manufacturing facility. It is not natural. Even if the manufacturing facility used natural material in their manufacturing, material, you know, from agricultural waste, for example, it's still not a natural fiber under this definition of naturally occurring as a fiber. All right, well, hopefully this little tour of kind of what's going on in the exterior of the fiber was helpful in thinking about how uh, we, we might identify fibers or what sort of properties they might have. Uh, our next discussion will be about the crimp of fibers. Mm -hmm.